Amen. On behalf of First Baptist Church, we want to welcome you guys to our third and final night of the revival. I'm really excited tonight to uh, see what the Lord has in, uh, planned for us with Brother Scott as our guest speaker. I want to give a personal thank you to Annie and Julio back here. They've been uh, giving our praise and worship the last couple of days. I don't know about you guys, but to me, though, it's an awesome sight when you see the world that just goes with the flow, but you see a couple of young people who stand up, stick out, and decide to go against the norm in order to, uh, you know, praise their, their Lord and Savior. We're going to open up in prayer, guys, and we're going to get started with our praise. I was asked to have a special prayer request for Annette Sweeney. Uh, she is related to some uh, uh, some really good close friends of mine. Apparently, she had some issues with her diabetes, and they're not expecting her to make it through the night. She's at the hospital right now, so we're going to lift her and the family up in prayer. So, okay, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you tonight, Lord Jesus, and we, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for, for, for everything you've given us, Heavenly Father, for all the blessings, Lord Jesus. Lord, we ask that you, we already know you're Heavenly Father, we ask that you just douse us with your spirit, Heavenly Father. We ask that every negative thought, everything is kicked out the door right now, Heavenly Father. There's no room for that tonight, Lord. We do ask, Heavenly Father, that you be with Annette Sweeney and her family, Lord. Uh, we know she's getting very closely to come uh, be with you, Heavenly Father. And, and we just ask for that transition to be uh, to be peaceful, Heavenly Father. And we ask that you give peace to the family, Lord Jesus. We ask that you be Brother Scott, Heavenly Father, tonight. Maybe your word, not his, Heavenly Father, may touch each and every heart here. We ask that you be with Julio and Annie, Lord Jesus, as they bring the praise and worship, may bring us closer to you. In your gracious heavenly name, amen. You are the hope, you are the hope I'm needing. 
Praise and worship for sure. Um, that happens to be one of my personal favorite songs. When you think about it's your breath in our lungs, God, that we praise you for everything. As I've said before many times, that I think it's important for us to remember that it is his breath. He personally breathed that into us. And so we need to be expelling that back out, uh, giving him glory in every opportunity that we can. So, um, well, we're here for the final night. So who's had a an insightful uh, revival so far. Who's been revived? Praise God. Amen. Amen. So I hope that we uh, really push in, press in, and pay attention tonight, and that we finish strong, um, because the, the, uh, the title of tonight's message is Running Your Race to the Finish Line, going all the way through, not stopping until your very last breath. You know, uh, Rick Warren not a huge Rick Warren fan, but I will say this that I thought was very key uh, here not too long ago. His dad was on his deathbed, and his dad kept saying over and over, one more for Jesus, one more for Jesus. His last breath was witnessing to a nurse that was in the room, one more for Jesus, one more for Jesus. Wow, man, that's empowering. You know, if you think about it, that's, that's the kind of life that I want to live, right? I didn't know the man, but just to hear that, man, that is just power. That is extreme power. So before we get into tonight's uh, message, let's go ahead and uh, bow and we'll open up with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We love you. Uh, We appreciate you allowing us, Father, because it is a gift to be here, uh, to witness your Holy Spirit run rampant through this place as I pray that it does, Father. Lord, thank you for all the blessings you've given us, Father, whether how big or small they may be. All good gifts come from you, Father. Everything that we have is from you. Lord, and I pray that we use it all for you, Father, for the furthering of your kingdom and the glorifying of your name, Father. Lord, I just pray as we open this message tonight, Father, Lord, as we recap over the last two nights, Father, Lord, I pray that we have built a foundation that you would be proud of, Father. Lord, that you would say, well done and good and faithful servants in this room, Father, as I pray that we approach your throne first and foremost as humble servants, Father, looking and seeking to be grown to be the men and women of God that you've called us to be. So, Lord, I pray again for this church. I pray for Frank and the leadership of this church, the deacons of this church, everybody that has a hand or a part in this church, Father. Lord, we pray for these church grounds. I pray that you'd surround them with your hedge of protection, Father. Bless it in a phenomenal way, Father. Lord, as there is a lot of love and a lot of unity and a lot of togetherness in this house, Father. So, Lord, I pray that you would build on that. Use that to be exploded into this into the, your kingdom here in this community, Father. And have Sutherland Springs never be the same again, Father. Lord, we're... Uh, Just anybody in this room is capable to change this community, Father. Not just all of us, but individually, Father. So, Lord, I pray that that happens as we leave this room today, Father. But here now, Father, I pray that you'd open our hearts and minds to what you'd have for us in your precious and holy name. Amen. So I guess I got a little too animated last night. I broke the microphone. So tonight I have to stand behind the pulpit, which is going to be a little difficult for me. So um, we had a little bit. Okay. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, but so, um, so if you see me standing here, it's not that I don't want to be involved with you for sure. Cause, uh, that's not, that's my style. And I believe that's the way God wants it to be is to be with his sheep as I, 
as I said last night. But before we get started in tonight's message, I think we need to do a quick recap of where we've been for the last two training sessions, because that's what this has been. Remember, we're learning how to train and be the disciples that God wants us to be, to be the athletes that he wants us to be. But this whole theme of this revival for me, and I hope and pray that you got this as well, is what is the gospel according to you? Right? Because I think, again, that's a question that daily we need to be asking ourselves. No matter where we're at in our race, we need to ask, what does the gospel mean to me? Because when you ask that, and if it doesn't mean something to you, I hope that you learn what it means. And if it already means something to you, that you're so on fire to share that with others, that you can't help but speak his name. That's what we talked about last night with Paul, and seeing how to be contagious in that. But my hope is that we now realize also that there's spectators watching us. As we see, there's some little ones in the room here and little ones in the room over here. Those are spectators that are watching you, parents, and they're going to emulate everything that you do, regardless of what you think they think of you. Um, our husbands, our wives, they're all looking at each one of us to see how we're going to react and act when we say that we are father's children. Um, but also, we have continued to see how important it is to have the endurance and stamina. I think that's very important that it's needed to complete the race that we have to run. We saw last night what Paul uh, thought it means to become a contagious Christian. Um, and, I, and I say that just as the most infectious disease that you could imagine. Nothing like that should be compared to what we do with Jesus. It should be in everything that we do, in everything that we say, in every place that we go, every place that we attend, no matter if it's worship, fellowship, home life, whatever it is, we should be contagious with the gospel. And that it considered of having a servant's hearts and eyes. Because to be contagious, you must be a servant. You must have the heart of a servant and the eyes of a servant to be able to go and see where God wants you to be and be in tune with the Holy Spirit to act upon it when he calls you to. It's very important. Uh, but also to be able to see people like Jesus does. We talked about last night. It doesn't matter what they look like, what ethnic group they come from, how many tattoos, how many earrings, what kind of attire. They're all Jesus' children. God breathed life into every single one of them. And it's very important for us to remember that. But we also must strive to be a servant to all peop people at all times, no matter the circumstances or consequences. We looked at how Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, never changed the gospel. He may have changed the way that he approached people, and he may change the way that he delivered it to people, but he never twisted and ripped and torn the gospel, as happens a lot of time in churches today. It's very important that we remember that. We also learned that through Jesus' example that we have to meet people where they are. You know, we talked about the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus took the 12 men that he thought was going to be the best disciples that he could find at that time. And then he sat down with them and broke bread with them and told them what character looked like, what the Beatitudes looked like, who the men, what kind of men that he expected them to be, just like he does with us. You know, it's amazing. You know, real quickly, I keep forgetting, I can't walk away from this thing. But it's amazing how the wise men, something as simple as the wise men, didn't even know Jesus. They knew of Jesus. They knew of Jesus coming. And when they came to a baby, not in a manger, but in a home at this time, fell prostrate in front of this baby to worship him. We have everything we need to know about Jesus and refuse to worship him. That's a problem, right? These men had nothing but what the prophets and the men in the Old Testament and the law said. And they came and fell prostrate in front of this baby with some of the most expensive things that you could ever imagine to offer anybody of that day. And yet we know all about Jesus, all about everything that God tells us, and we refuse to do that. 
Man, that's that's huge. Uh, talk about being contagious, man. How can you not be contagious when you see something like that and it makes you want to just dive in and learn more? At least me, it does. It makes me want to grow and learn more about my Savior. When if he was that important for three of the most powerful men at that time to come and bring some of the most expensive gifts of that time to fall prostrate before a baby, and then we know everything and refuse to do so, what does that say about us? Right? I think it's important for us to, to vocalize that and remember that. But also pose the question, do you have anxiety for the lost? Just as Paul talked about, he was shipwrecked, beat, all these different things. But it was the anxiety for the churches that did not know Jesus. That's what heavied his heart the most. And I believe that's important that we remember that. Because do we have any kind of anxiety for the people that don't know Jesus Christ in this community? Right? Because that's our job and that's our mission as this church and as the church, as we talked about last night too. We are the church, not this building. This building is to be reverenced because God gave it to us and blessed us with it. But this isn't the church. We are the church. And we need to be activated and we need to be enacted. But to be contagious, we must always be prepared to be, uh, be prepared to go in season and out of season, as we talked about last night in 2 Timothy. And that takes dedication, that takes training, and that takes sacrifice. Something, the three things that most of us don't want to do anymore. We don't want to be dedicated to anything because the world tells us not to. We don't want to sacrifice anything because it might hurt and it might not be fun. And we don't want to put in the time that it takes uh, to get the training that is needed to be truly contagious for the gospel. But as Christians, we do it all to gain the crown of righteousness, as we talked about last night, that never fades, never tarnishes, and not for any perishable reward here on earth. Matthew six nineteen through 21 states, Do not lay up for yourself, brothers, uh, treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Think about that. For where your treasure is, is where your heart will be also. I guarantee you, if you handed me your phones, gave me your passcodes, and handed me your checkbook, within five minutes I can tell you what you're passionate about. Think about that just for a minute. If you gave me your phone and all your passwords to all your accounts, in five minutes I could tell you what means something to you and what doesn't. I'm not talking about your tithe here. I'm talking about your heart because it's a heart condition. Where's your heart at? Right? That's what's so important because if your heart's not with God, you're not going to be contagious. Just being honest with you. It's hard to spread something you don't have. Very important to remember. But also to be contagious, we must have a contagious heart, a contagious spirit, a contagious faith, and we must do our part. As I said last night or the night before, I don't remember, you know, the, the, it's amazing the statistic 15, 16 years ago when I had a, a, an opportunity to preach somewhere and had this, this topic on mine about being involved in service. The, the statistics then were like 20, 80 to 20. 20 percent of the people doing 100 percent of the work when it comes to a church body. I think now the apathy has gotten so large, it's probably five or six percent, maybe 10 percent on a good week. All right. So are you plugged in somewhere? Are you involved in the ministry? Are you involved in the community? Are you doing something to glorify God with the gifts that he's given you? Right? Because we're not given the spiritual gifts that we have, whether it's building a fence or polishing gold, whatever it is, we need to be doing that and harnessing that to glorify God in some way, shape, or form instead of just wasting those gifts on the secular world. It's like this. Every morning when you wake up, you have a choice. I hope you all listen to this very closely because there's three choices that you can make. Every morning, I was just talking to my brother here, when I get up every morning... He showed me a keychain with the armor, of her, uh, the shield of faith on it. And every morning I recited this because almost 20 years ago, a gentleman poured the, the armor of God into me. Because, you know, Second uh, Peter 5, 7 tells us that we have an adversary. 
And he's on the prowl seeking to devour us at all times. We must be sober-minded. We must be ready to go to work. But we also must be armored up and be ready to be tooled up to get into that battle every day. Because if you want to know why you're being devoured every day, where's your armor? Have you even, do you even know what the armor is? Ephesians 6, 10 and, and going on. I'd encourage you to look at that. And every morning I recite that in my head, in my own way. God, give me, please protect my mind. Give me the helmet of salvation. Please protect my heart and give me the breastplate of righteousness. Afford me the belt of truth. Give me the feet of readiness into any battlefront that you send me into. Give me the sword of the, 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 uh, sword of the Spirit so I'm ready to attack the adversary when he comes to my door. And then give me the shield to catch all the, the fiery darts that come flying at me. Right? And I believe it's important that we realize that we have an adversary. I think it's very important that we realize that we are tooled up for the battle and then go out into that warfare every day. But also I think it's so important, this is a little off topic, but it just hit me really hard, is that we don't go into that battle alone. I know there's a couple military folks in here. You never go into a house by yourself. It's usually back-to-back or shoulder-to-shoulder so you can guard everything that's around you. And that's why it's important to be a part of a body so you can be tooled up. SWAT team never goes into a room by themselves. They always have a brother or sister beside them that they can rely on to help guard them from those fiery arrows that may come flying at you. Because, see, Satan knows those little cracks in our armor. And when he gets in that little crack, he puts a porter power in there and just opens it up, like we talked about last night. And then before you know it, you can't see the track anymore. You've gotten completely off track. Very important. But there's three choices I hope that you see today that you can make when you get up in the morning. Every morning you must make a choice. And you do make a choice whether you know it or not. You make a choice of one of these things. First choice you have to is you could choose not to run the race. But remember, if you don't run, there's no way you'll ever win. You'll never gain the crown of righteousness if you never get out of the starting block. Very important. Second choice, you can choose to run, but you may decide not to run at your best. And if you don't run at your best... Again, you'll be sure to lose the race and fall off track. Or the third choice, which I hope and pray for you guys all for the last month that we make, that we come into this room and leave this place changed. The third choice is you can choose to run, decide to run your best, because it is a decision to decide to run your best. Strive for the crown of righteousness, as we discussed last night, by focusing on the finish line. It's important that we remain focused on the finish line because that's where the prize awaits us. You never see a gold medal winner get the medal in the middle of the race think about that you never see a gold medal winner get the medal in the starting blocks it's at the finish of that race the 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 medal that we're going to get the crown of righteousness man praise god you know as we talked about earlier it's an imperishable wreath that we will wear in glory with our father man if that doesn't make you get excited about serving jesus i might as well go home there's nothing else i can really tell you If eternal life is not enough for you, because I haven't found and I've tried everything from race cars to motorcycles to drugs to alcohol to women, I've never found anything that gives me the peace that Jesus Christ does. I've never found anything that gives me the joy that Jesus Christ does. I've never found anything that's going to give me eternal life like Jesus Christ does. Right? And so if you can find something better, let me know because we're going to market together and we're going to go make a lot of money. Because I haven't found anything, and I don't know if it's there. So I just want to make sure that's clear that we understand that. Because it's re- important that we remain focused on the finish line. Because when we get off track, we stay off track. And next thing you know, we're running over other people and dragging them with us. Right? It's very important that we get that. But turn with me to our text to Galatians 6 tonight. We're going to be in Galatians 6, chapter uh, 6, verses 7 through 10. And we are to remember that we are in a race and that we are headed for the everlasting crown of righteousness, as we just talked about. So knowing that, you will need to remember three actions that you must take in order to reach the finish line. So let's read these real quick, and then we'll go over what those three actions are. 
So Galatians 6, verses 7 through 10. Say amen if you're there. All right. So verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those in the household of faith. Very important that we understand that. So number one, in verses 7 and 8, is do not give in to sinning. It's very easy to do. You must train yourself. You must be willing to go into training, like we talked about last night, the runners back in that day would have had to have been locked up for 10 months. And I can't, I'm not telling you to go lock up in your house for 10 months. But they had to be locked up for 10 months, intense training, watching their diet, watching where they went, everything that they said, everything that they did. It's the same thing with us as well. One of my brothers here said he's fixing to start a Bible study with his family. Praise God for that. That's where the training starts is in your home. Because if your home's not trained up, you're sending out all your folks in to be with the wolves. You're sending out all your sheep to be devoured by the wolves. It must start in the home. So praise God for us wanting to start that, to be able to get that training done. So don't give in to sinning. Look at verse 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever he sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So the first thing I would say is do not be deceived. God is not mocked. It's amazing how we think that we can pull the wool over God's eyes. As we talked about last night, he's everywhere. In the darkest of rooms, with the brightest computers, in your closets, in that beer joint, wherever it's at, God is there. He sees and he knows. It's very important that we understand that. But this verse could really be translated, this section here could be really translated, don't fool yourself. He's not fooled, and all you're doing is being a fool by thinking you're fooling him. Very important that we understand that. Because as we talked about the other day, John 8, 44 says, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. So he would want you to think, oh, God can't see this. He said the same thing to Adam and Eve too, didn't he? And what did they do? They thought they could go run and hide, right? Really, dude? Like, for real? You think you're going to hide from God? Did you not remember that he's the one that took a rib and made your old lady? For real? How do you think you're going to run from the guy that made your wife? How do you think you're going to run from the guy that lets you name all the animals? It's kind of hard to think that you could run from that. But even, even Adam thought so in the very beginning. If there's one thing that we could, uh, I would like to tell you all and have you believe is that you can get away with your sin because that's what the devil will tell you every single day. Oh, you can get away with this. It's just one time. Or you can go over here. It's just one time. It'll be okay. Just like I do a saying out of prayer and you get right back in line again. Man, that's just, that's, that's playing with some serious, serious stuff there. We are living in a generation of society today who has fooled themselves into thinking they can sin and get away uh, with it without any consequences or repercussions. Our young people today, I believe that's one of the reasons why our young people are the way they are, is because we have tried to pull them out of every ditch that we could to make them think it's okay. You know, and the world tells them, go ahead. Like I said yesterday, whatever makes you feel good, as much of it as you want to do, go ahead. That's why teen pregnancy is higher than it's ever been. And I'm not knocking that, right? We need to love those children. We need to love the children they have. But that's why that is, is because we have made a society that says there's no consequences for your actions anymore, right? It's very important that we try to change that mentality. Again, it starts in the church, it starts in the home. And in our society today, it's actually kind of promoted, right? When, when Fifty Shades of Grey outsells the Bible, what does that tell you where our society is? 
And for those that don't know, they're coming out with another one, and it's supposed to be even fouler than the first one, if that's even possible. But when it outsells the sales of the Bible, man, where does that tell you our country's going? Where does that tell you the thought of our minds in this society are? I mean, if we truly understand the consequences of our sins, we would stop, right? Wouldn't you think? I mean, we're all logical people, for the most part, except my mother-in-law. No, I'm just playing, Darlene. You know I love you. (laughs) I'm just playing. But, I mean, seriously, we're all logical people, right? You would think that if we would know the consequences of our sin, because it's played out right in front of us every day, but yet we still continue to do them. It's amazing how we just never seem to learn. In the book of Psalms 10:11, I'm going to tell you why people think, and church people even think this, I believe, because this is what they believe. It tells us the reason why people sin and may lead them to think this way, because it states, he said in his heart, God has forgotten, he hides his face, he will never see it. But we are plainly told here in Galatians, God is not mocked. We can try to say he doesn't know. We can try to say he doesn't see, just as the writer of Psalms in Psalms 10 said there. Oh, he'll never know. He... He's forgotten it. He hides his face from that. He don't want to see that, right? Well, he can't be where darkness is because he is light, so he doesn't see that when I do that. And it's clearly that this verse has a lot more importance than a lot of people take when it says God is not mocked. It's very important. In other words, Paul is saying you can't turn your nose up at God. He cannot be fooled no matter how dark the room is, no matter how dark the situation is, and no matter how elaborate your lies are, because I was that guy for a long time, he still knows. It's very important that we understand that. We cannot lie our way out of sin. We must repent our way out of sin. Truly broken repentance at his feet to get rid of our sin. It is an insult to the knowledge and character of God for you to think that you can sin and get away with it without him knowing. I've had to learn that the hard way. There's an old saying that rings very true. You can fool all the people some of the time. You can fool some of the people all the time. But you'll never fool God any of the time. Very important for us to understand that as adults today and young people. Why is it that you can't get away with your sin, you might ask? Well, let's look back at today's text in verse 7 of Galatians. Because it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. It doesn't say maybe. That's a definite. For whatever one sows, that he will reap. Okay, so this law of the harvest, the principles of sowing and reaping, is a man reaps what he sows and sometimes way more than he reaped or planted. It's very important that we understand that when we're going down that road of sin. You reap what you sow. The harvest is always the product of the seed. Always a product of the seed. If you sow or plant seeds of sin in your life, you will reap the harvest of sorrow, pain, and ultimately destruction. It's a matter of fact. That's what happens. The book of Job, we see the faithful servant saying this clearly to us in Job 4, 8, and 9. It states, Even as I've seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble will reap the same. By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of His anger they are consumed. We cannot just go aimlessly living life, sinning and wiling out all day long and expect there not to be any repercussions. That's just not what God's Word tells us. But let's look back at Galatians 6. Paul says here that you have two options. You can sow to the field of the flesh, or you can sow to the field of faith, of the Spirit. Very important that we understand that. Verse 8 says clearly, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Man, that's black and white. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. That's an easy contrast. That's an easy decision make. It's black and white, laid out for us. You sowed the, the field of your, fa- of your flesh, you will reap corruption. If you sowed the field of the Spirit, you will have eternal life. 
very much cut and dried for us. It's the idea of degenerating, rotting food is what it's talking about here when it's talking about corruption. We need to be sure that we understand that sin putrefies and degenerates our salvation and the human soul. It will just damage us sometimes beyond what we think we can return. The shame and the guilt that kicks in. It desensitizes your view of everything. It makes things that you would never think okay, okay, once you get far enough off track. And then you just stay further and further and further away. I've been there a lot, looking through rose-colored smeared glasses, and my vision was changed that I almost lost everything that God had given me for a blessing and to establish further his kingdom through me being the man that he created and designed me to be. And I know there's some of you in this room that have some of that same testimony, right? And praise God for him and his power to come and change us as men and women of God. Sin sours our salvation if we have it at all, and it robs us of our joy if we do have it. And it can completely take everything away from you that you think is good. Even if it's not physically, in your mind and in your heart, it just builds this black. You ever seen lungs that have had cancer and it just turns black? But then you see them beforehand and and they're just a beautiful creation of God? And that's what happens to our life when we just get so full of sin. Our insides just get so torn and our soul gets so torn with darkness that it's very hard to ever come back to the center again. This is what happens when we tend to backslide into the world full of sin. See, a backsliding Christian is someone who has sowed or planted and continues to plant the wrong seed in the wrong field and has done the wrong thing, is now reaping the wrong reward. And I can tell you from experience, you think there's no way back. I'll be honest with you. I ran from God one time. I thought I was ready to be a pastor. I really did. And I ran from God for a long time, uh, several years, actually. And I ran about as far away from him as I could because I didn't want nothing to do with it. I was scared of it. I had nothing, didn't want anything to do with what God wanted me to do. And I look back on that, I can honestly tell you, that was Satan, 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 dragging me from being the man that God created me to be. And so, guys, I'm telling you here today, it's possible. I'm standing here as a living witness to tell you, no matter how far you've gone, how far you've run, how far you've ran, you can always come home. God is always sitting there waiting for you. As we talked about last night, Revelations 3.20 says, He stands at the door and knocks seeking to come and dine with you. All you have to do is be willing to open the door of your heart and allow him in. Very important for us to understand that. Romans 10, 9 clearly states, if you confess with your mouth and seek and understand with your heart and love him with your heart, he will be yours and you will have a relationship with him. It's very important that we understand that because I think we make it too hard, too difficult, especially as church folks sometimes. As we talked about last night, we expect people to come clean to the cross. And sometimes it's not the case. I was real filthy when I came to the cross, and praise God for an old man never giving up on me, right? And so we need to break that, break that mantra. It doesn't matter whether you're saved or not. If you're bound to sin, you're bound to suffer. I can tell you that, again, from experience. Remember, remember, we must try to throw off every weight that clings to us so tightly as we learned the first night in 2 Corinthians because even the slightest things in our life that are not glorifying to God can pull us off track over a period of time and deter us away from where God would have us to be. But you will have to deal with the potential consequences sooner or later of your actions. And God will forgive you, but you must truly, truly repent. It's kind of like this. If a Christian goes outside, leaves this room right now, and goes and gets drunk and has an accident and kills somebody, God will forgive you if you truly repent, but there's still consequences and repercussions from your actions. I want to make sure we understand that. God's not a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? 
And so it's very important that we understand that. Because what you reap is what you sow. What you reap is only what you sow, and most of the times more than what you sow. It's like this. It's, it's like this. A farmer sows or plants a single kernel of corn. He doesn't just reap another kernel of corn. He reaps a stock of corn with many, many kernels on it. And it can kind of be that same way with us if we're not careful when we're talking about our sin. We as society have sown the seeds of disobedience and rebellion in our homes, and now we're seeing it lived out everywhere, in our churches, in our homes, in our communities, in our, in our classrooms, everywhere. But this is not only true for the negative, we can make this true for the positive as well. Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. In other words, Jesus is saying there, the more you give, the more you receive. The more you sow seeds of righteousness, the more righteousness you'll get in the harvest. That's not talking about your money. That's talking about your heart. I hate money. I hate talking about money. I hate churches talking about money. It needs to be about a heart. And sometimes it takes money to do ministry, right? But this is talking about our hearts, the condition of our hearts. What are we sowing? What are we planting from our hearts, because that's important for the harvest that's going to be harvested. It's very, very important. But it's also, let's say a farmer takes a jar of wheat, and now he can have just one small piece of wheat and grow that into a single loaf of bread. Or he can grow that into other small particles of wheat and continue to plant, and before you know it, he has enough bread to fill a whole grocery store. So what is your choice? Are you going to consume and only consume what God's given you? Are you going to take that planet and hopefully the harvest is before you? And not just be selfish and keep it all to yourself. So the number one life principle should be in our lives. You will reap what you sow. The second principle is don't give up in serving. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know it's a sacrifice. Trust me. And there's a lot of people that will never, never understand and never give you the gratification you think you deserve or need. But you've got to remember, we serve an audience of one. And that's where our crown of righteousness sits when we are done with this race. And when you look at it from that perspective, you can serve the ugliest of person, as we talked about yesterday. Right? You don't have to have that gratitude. Don't give up serving and working the ground you've been given to plant the seeds that he has provided. Matthew 9.37 states this, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Why do you think the laborers are few? Just a little interaction. Does anybody can tell me what, why you think the laborers are few and why that says that? It takes commitment to be a laborer. It takes a strong back to be a laborer. It takes discipleship and wanting, willing and learn to how to do the job to be a laborer. The laborers are few and the harvest is plenty because there's not that many laborers out there. But it's our job as the laborers, no matter how hard it is, how many hours it requires, to go out and work that field and gain that harvest for God. It's very important to understand that. That's a very powerful verse if we really look at it. And are we a laborer or are we a harvest? Think about that just for a second. Because I don't know about you. For me, I want to be a laborer. I want to be a co-laborer with God as it talks about in 2 Corinthians, as it talks about in Ephesians. I want to be a co-laborer with Jesus Christ, not part of the harvest. And to be a co-laborer means we have to learn as a Christian, was what we talked about the other day, Christian means Christ-like. We've got to learn how it looks and what it looks like to be Christ-like. That takes discipleship, that takes commitment, that takes sacrifice. So let's turn back to Galatians and read verse 9 here, Galatians chapter 6. 
In verse 9 it says, And let us, grow, or let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. In due season we will reap if we do not give up. That's very important. Me and my brother and another brother were talking before service tonight, and there's a couple of songs out there that says you're only one step away. You know, I shared with our young people um, this past Sunday in Sunday school. This isn't part of my message, but it hit me again. Um, you know, we just had this big youth rally and stuff, and there's some things that happened, and and uh, so many lives were changed. Praise God for that. All glory and honor goes to God for that. But the next morning, I was just tired emotionally, spiritually, physically. Been a long week, some different things happening. And I just happened to tell him, I said, but you know, just think about it. What if we just said... I'm too tired. What if we said, we don't have enough money? What if I said, there's not enough laborers, but the harvest is going to be huge. So we're just not going to do it. Those 20 plus people that made confessions of faith would have made it maybe have never happened because that, that, that time that the Holy Spirit was pricking their heart may have been then, right then. And what if we just said no? That goes for us as individuals today as well. As we talked about those choices you have when you get up in the morning. What if you just say, Nah, I don't feel good today. Nah, I can't do it today. I'm not going to speak today. Nah, I'm not going to go live for you today, God. It's okay. I'll do it tomorrow, though. I'll do it on Sunday. I'll live for you on Sunday. Right? That's all we're supposed to do anyways is live for God on Sunday and Wednesdays, right? I mean, isn't that the way it's supposed to be? No, not at all. Right? But we get so stuck in a rut. I told Frank here a while back and Corey, too. I knew I'd get run off if I did this, but I just really, God hit me with this one night. I said, you know what? I said, I think I'm going to go to a yard sale or go to the the, uh, rummage sale, and I'm going to get one of those old time clot slots. You know, it's got like 100 time card slots on it. I'm going to put it at the back door of our church. So that way when everybody comes in, they can clock in. And whenever they leave, they can clock out. Because that's kind of the mentality sometimes of church folks. We believe that it only starts when we come in the door and it ends when we leave the door. You know, that's not... I never saw Jesus doing that. I never saw Jesus doing that. They were trying to kill him before he was born. And every day after that. And what did he do? Held his head high until God said, come home. Same thing with us. Every day... As I shared with a brother of mine earlier, 2 Peter 5, 7, and 8 tells us that we have an adversary seeking to devour us every day. Right? That doesn't mean we stop because we know he's waiting at us at the door. That means we tool up, man up, and get ready to go out there and face that giant and conquer it and move forward throughout the day. You see, the law of the harvest was not given to discourage us, but to encourage us. And that's what I pray that this revival has been about, is to revive you. To revive and incite a riot in you for the gospel. To make you just want to shine brighter than ever before as you leave this place going back into the community. Because see, working for God is a huge joy, but it can also bring huge disappointment, discouragement, and leave us tired and just physically wore out. And that's when Satan's waiting for us. I want to make sure you understand that. After a big event like this, you've got to know this church is going to be under spiritual warfare for however long. You guys need to be praying for this church. Whether you come to this church or not, you need to be praying for this church diligently before, after, and during the t- tonight, but after this as well. Because God knows he's here. And he also knows that the world belongs to Satan. And he's right outside that door waiting to devour those that come in and out of this place. So we need to be covering this place with prayer as we leave here today. Paul specifically tells us not to grow weary as it talks about here. Not to grow weary, not to lose heart. But both of these terms mean to grow so tired from working that you feel like giving up. Who in here, by honest uh, show of hands, can say that you've ever been in some sort of a church function and have been so tired you're almost done? Anybody? Yeah, right? Because let's just be honest. It happens because the laborers are few. The harvest is plenty. But that doesn't mean we stop laboring just because they're few. 
That means we man up, shoulder up with somebody else, dig in that trench, and get ready to go. That's what it means. It doesn't mean we go home because there's not another shovel beside us. Right? Very important. It all goes back to having endurance, as we talked about the first night, to run the race no matter the circumstances or adversity that comes knocking on our door. I've had the pleasure of knowing a few farmers in my day, uh, regretfully, because they always want to put you to work, which is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But they live by the sweat of their brow. True farmers live by the sweat of their brow. If they don't get up and go to work, they don't eat. Their families don't eat. Their cattle don't eat. Their horses don't eat. Their goats don't eat. Whatever it is that they're raising doesn't get done unless they get up and do it. It's the same thing with us as well. If we don't get up and go look for the harvest, it's not going to get harvested. Very important. But a farmer literally lives by the sweat of his brow, and sometimes it's the same way by men and women of God doing the work of the kingdom. We live by the sweat of our brow. We live knowing that we serve an audience of one. We live knowing that our crown of righteousness is waiting on us. We live knowing that we can't say no, that we must go, because that's what God calls us to every day. God's work is hard. In Deuteronomy 6, 5, God's word says, You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Matthew twenty two thirty seven says the exact same thing. Luke ten twenty seven and Mark twelve thirty adds, With all your strength, with all your mind. Although God's work is wonderful work, It's hard work, and we've been called to do it in a word, endurance, as we talked about the first night. Do you have any fortitude, endurance at all in your life for Jesus Christ? Do you have anything inside of you stirring to make you want to share the gospel with somebody? Even somebody in this room sitting beside you that you should feel comfortable with in your home. Very important. See, the work and sacrifice I'm talking about is an act of worship. That's what we've got to remember. We're not talking about a works-based salvation here. We're talking about every act that we do in our life as an act of worship. Because everything we do, every breath that we take, needs to be projected towards Him as an act of worship. Not just singing in here tonight. Not just singing at your church on Sunday morning. And that's why I kept telling you guys for the last two days what the, the worship leader said the other night. That how much better would you worship if Jesus Christ was sitting right beside you? That needs to go in every action of your life from this day forward because you know that everything we do, as Colossians 3.17 says, needs to be to the glory of God. Everything we do needs to be an act or a form of worship. Diligently, and making it intentional, 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 intentional acts of worship to our King. The way we treat people, the way we do things, people should see you standing out at work like never before after this revival. Because you understand that everything you're doing in your workplace is a form of worship. doesn't mean that you have to Bible beat people. That's not what I'm talking about. But they know by the way you work, the way you talk, the way you act, the places that you say that you go to, they know who you are. And they know who lives inside of you and who makes those things possible for you. Very, very important. What does your fruit tree look like? Because, you know, God's word tells us they will know us by our fruit. So what does your fruit tree look like? Is your fruit tree, hopefully, praise God, so full of fruit that the branches are dragging the ground and flowing over with just beautiful, luscious fruit? Who's ever driven by an orange tree in their mouth water? I know I have, right? Or some other piece of fruit, and you see it, or even in the supermarket, it's like, golly, that looks delicious, right? Or does your fruit tree look like a maggot-infested something that's been in the trash can for so long? I didn't ask you that. Or is your fruit tree really just a weed because you've done nothing with it to water it? You've done nothing with it to work the ground. You've done nothing with it to fertilize it properly. You've done nothing with it to get rid of the bugs and the things that come and just suck it dry and eat all the leaves off of it. Right? And that really comes with getting into God's Word. 
being who God wants us to be, asking him to, to make our tree full of fruit, asking him to provide the fruit for us so we can go out and share it in fellowship with others, because that's what it's about. Only what we do for Christ will last. I cannot stress that enough. That's something that I tell myself every day when I get asked to do so many different things, and it's like, is this, is this God honoring to you? Is this what you want me to do, Father? When's the last time you asked God before you did something? Anything in your life especially the big things, but anything in your life. God, does this bring you glory? Is this what I need to do? Is this a place or an opportunity that I have that I can share the Holy Spirit with people? Or is this just going to glorify me? Or is this just going to glorify them? Because if it doesn't glorify God, you need to seriously ask yourself, is this what God would have you to do in anything in your life? As I said last night, if you have a job where you can't praise Jesus and you're going to get fired for it, praise God, start looking on the Internet for a new job. Just being honest with you. Right? I mean, I can't tell you to do that. It has between you, be you and the Holy Spirit. But if you can't go somewhere and share the best thing that you have to offer with people, there's a serious problem there that needs to be rectified. Back in Galatians, Paul is saying here in verse 9, let's look at that again. It says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. If we do not give up, if we do not lose heart, if we do not quit. Right? Because in society today, it's so easy to quit everything and still get a trophy. That just boggles my mind. I had some young people in one of the school districts that we're a part of. We won two games. We're going to the playoffs. Praise God that you're going to the playoffs. I don't want to diminish that. But how many games did you play? Oh, ten. Okay. All right. Well, praise God. I guess you're going to the playoffs. But we've, 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 what are we doing to our children, guys? We're never teaching them how to fail so they can succeed, right? It's very important that we put the red pen back in the schools along with God's Word. It's very important that they understand that they don't get a trophy for every single thing that they do. Because if they never learn how to fail and how to get back up and give God glory through that failure, they're never going to learn from their mistakes. And then they fall flat on their face. Do you know the biggest drug that's pushed down our children's throats today by doctors? Antidepressants. Honestly, antidepressants. That doesn't bother us as a society? Wow, dude, like that's huge for me. Huge, huge, huge. Because they can't never learn because we're either too lazy, too inept, or don't want to teach them how to have a life with Jesus Christ, and he's the one that perfects them. And I'm not saying that some of those drugs don't need to be in some of those children. Do not get me wrong. I know that God has made science for a purpose, plan, and a reason, and we need to utilize that if possible. But not a drug is going to fix everything in a young person's life. That's what parenting's for. That's what experience is for. That's what the village of the church is for. Right? It's very important that we understand that. James 1, 2, and through 4 states, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Endurance. Again, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature. What does that say? We're supposed to be mature? Wow, that's amazing. Even in church sometimes, that's amazing. To be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So in that being summed up, don't quit in the middle of the race, even though it may get a little difficult. Because you never know what God has that blessing right around that next step, right around that next corner, right out of the valley that you may be living in at that moment when you reach up for that rock that's going to pull you out. But if you never reach up, you never reach out, and you never come out, and you stay right where Satan would have you planted. 
it's kind of like the growth of a certain kind of Chinese bamboo tree. I was sharing this with a friend of mine, or actually Frank and one of the other brothers here earlier. There's a certain kind of Chinese bamboo tree. They can plant the seed and water it the first year. Nothing pops out of the ground. They water it the second, third, and fourth year. Nothing pops out of the ground. They water it the whole fifth year and just water the mess out of it the whole fifth year. Nothing comes out of the ground. The sixth year, it can pop up 90 feet in a year's time and be big in diameter in one year. So what if that tree would have said, you know what, year five, we're just going to dig that with those Chinese people. What if they said, we're just going to dig it up. It ain't producing. We're done. And never truly see what God had for them, the growth that was planned and prepared for them. And it's the same thing with us. I know it's hard to get up to come to church on Sunday sometimes. And I know you and your spouse fight on the way here. Satan's living in your car sometimes, waiting for you to devour you. So you don't come to church and you say, I'm done. I'm going home. I'm not putting up with this. I'm married for 25 years. I get it. I understand. I've been there, right? You got to come anyways. When you got to get up to go to work because you know you're going to have a hard day and you say, I'm not going to do it today. That's exactly what Satan would have you to do because there's a divine appointment waiting for you at the door of your job for you to share the love of Christ to. We can't give up even when it gets hard. We cannot say quit even though the world is crushing and pressing down on us. So the second life principle is you will reap later than you sow sometimes. So now on to the third principle. Don't give up on sharing. As we said, the three things that we have been designed, created to do is love God, love people, share the gospel. Simple, simple, simple. If you were wondering, because this is another thing our young people struggle with today, some of you that have youngsters know when they become teenagers, they're going to struggle with what is my purpose in life. And there's probably some adults in here. Have asked themselves, who in here has asked itself that question sometime in their life? What is my purpose? Because as a pastor, I ask myself that still that sometimes. God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Right? And it's very easy. God lays it out for us clearly in the great commandment and the great commission. Love God, love people, share the gospel. And if you don't know nothing else and you can't read, you love God, you love people, and you share the gospel, the testimony that he's given you. Easy, simple, three aspects to give you a purpose, plan, and mission for your life. Very important that we understand that. Do not give up on sharing. Look at verse 10 in in chapter 6 here. It says, So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, to everyone, to everyone, to everyone. I cannot say that enough because we make such seclusion in our lives that we're only going to hang out with so-and-so. We're only going to go to this place because so-and-so is there. We're only going to come to this kind of church because so-and-so is there. And we refuse to share the gospel with folks that may not look just like we look, that may be outside of the mold that we think Jesus is in. But let me understand and make sure you understand, Jesus made the mold, right? So everybody that's in that mold is his, and we need to be sharing the gospel with them. Whether that's under the bridge in San Antonio serving food, as I know that some of y'all have done in here before, or that's right here across the street to the neighbor wanting to see how they're doing today. Because you're out in the yard and they're out in the yard. Right? It's so amazing how we see our neighbors out in our, in our communities. And I know this is a, a country-style community, and I live two and a half acres away from my neighbors. But I guarantee you when they see me, we wave, even if it's just a wave as we pass by. Because I make sure we have that kind of relationship. Do you have that kind of relationship? Do they know that you're a Christian? Do they know that you're a part of a body? And the reason why I ask that is because have you ever invited them to church? Because it's a proven fact, seven out of ten people, if they're asked, will attend. Proven fact, statistical fact. Seven out of ten people will come to church if they're only asked. 
So have you asked your neighbors to come to church? Have you been contagious, as we talked about last night, and make sure they understand who you are, what you stand for, and if for no other reason, so they can come to you when they have a crisis, and you can be the hands of God and the feet of God to them when they have a crisis. Very important, because when you do that, it's so amazing. I can't remember who it was now. Somebody was telling me the other day that, that one of their friends was an atheist, and he had tried to preach to him and, and share the gospel with him for so long and got tired of doing it. And when this, kid's, when this kid's mother died, the first person he called was this young man. Didn't want nothing to do with God until his mother passed away and had nowhere else to turn. This young man has now accepted Christ and is coming to a church in Floresville. Praise God for that, right? He planted a seed. He didn't have to sit there and wait for the harvest because that's God's job. But he planted a seed faithfully. He tilled the ground faithfully. And, you know, I hate to hear that this young man's mother passed away. I'm not trying to glorify a bad thing. But maybe that's what it took, right? Because that's what I'm trying to get across to you guys tonight. Humble yourselves or God will humble you. Amen? Humble yourselves or God will humble you. It's only a matter of time and by what action. The Bible says we ought to take every opportunity we have to do good to all the people, as it says here, all the people you possibly can, knowing that you will be rewarded for doing what is good. John Wesley, a very phenomenal man. John Wesley had a simple but profound rule for his life. Listen to this, and I encourage you to write these down. Very important. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, in all the times you can, to all the people you can, for as long as you can. I'm going to say that one more time. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, and all the ways you can, and all the places you can, and all the times you can, to all the people you can, for as long as you can. We are to do good to everyone, but I want to make sure you understand the last part of this verse. Look at this with me again, the end of verse 10. Especially to those who are in the household of faith. I can tell you, Frank hasn't shared with me, so don't think that he's gossiping outside of your church, but I'm a pastor and pastors today are getting annihilated by their congregations. Hear me when I say that. My dad was one of the foulest men I'd ever met in my life today as 43 years old as I stand here. And even my dad, being the foulest individual that I could ever remember meeting in my life, a man of the cloth would walk in the room and he'd say hi to him. He had respect for the man of the cloth. Didn't want nothing to do with God. But he had respect for a man of the cloth. We have lost total, utter respect for men of God that are willing to stand in a pulpit and carry the burdens of their congregation, carry the burdens of the young people in the house of God. And I know you guys here don't necessarily do that. He doesn't necessarily have that problem. Praise God that you love your pastor. Uh, I heard what happened here for the pastor appreciation, and you guys are amazing. I almost started crying when I found out what y'all did for him for pastor appreciation. Praise God that you love your pastor. But don't, don't ever give up on praying for him. Don't ever give up on praying for him. Because I promise you, he's getting annihilated in somewhere, fate, shape, or form in his life. Because as I said, the devil is the adversary seeking to devour us at all times. Men of God that are trying to study and share the word with y'all, I promise you, are carrying some very heavy burdens. And that lion is sitting here with his claws ready to claw us on the back all day, every day. I don't say that to glorify him because he's a man. I say that because he's been divinely appointed as this man to be the man of God for this house from God. And y'all need to, to show the respect and reverence to that that needs to be. Right? Praise God. Because that's what God's word tells us here. That we are to love everyone and show good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. Especially to the leaders that are willing to put in and sacrifice their time and energy to come and bring the word of God to you folks. 
I have believed for as long as I've been a Christian that the first allegiance to your spare time should be your local church because that's what God's Word tells us to do. That any spare time that we have is supposed to be devoted either to discipleship or serving the local body. And that's what we're called to do. Because when you serve the body, the body's healthy. And guess what? You go home healthy. Because as I said earlier, when you're shoulder to shoulder with other soldiers, you're living life and doing life together. If you're not a part of a small group, if you're not a part of a life group or whatever y'all call them here, you need to get plugged in somewhere. And you need to get involved with other members and other soldiers in your army that's here. Because you do life together. It's much easier to do life together than it is apart. And then when you get in that small group, make sure that small group is transparent with one another. Make sure it's not just some social club that everybody can understand and convey what's on your heart so they can pray for you. It's amazing how much pride, which is the center of every sin known to man, and how much pride there is that we are too ashamed or too inept or just feel like we're too unworthy to share what's really going on in our families, to share what's really going on in our hearts. Because you don't get revival until you're willing to be transparent. Transparent with God and transparent with your other fellow man that can lift you up and pray for you. Very important. Every chance you get to do well and every chance you get to do something for God, take it. Don't miss an opportunity. Right? I'm not telling you you're not supposed to have free time because even Jesus had free time. Even Jesus went off to be by himself. But what I'm saying is if you have an opportunity to serve someone, if you have an opportunity to serve your body, you need to be involved in that. Right? Because, again, everything we do is an act of worship, and we serve an audience of one. Very important that we remember that. So the third life principle is that you will reap greater than what you sow. You can bet when you see Judgment Day, uh, God won't ask you what kind of car you drove, but he'll ask you how many people you drove who didn't have transportation. God won't ask the square footage of your house, but he'll ask how many people you welcomed into your home. God won't ask about the clothes that you had in your closet, but he'll ask how many people you helped to clothe. Praise God for Corey. And their mission field there, providing those jackets to um, the ethnos, correct? Ethnos ministry, praise God for that. That's awesome. God won't ask what your highest salary was, but he'll ask you if you compromised your character to obtain it. Think about that just for a minute. God won't ask you what your job title was, but he'll ask you if you performed the job to the best of your ability. Again, that's what we're called to do. God won't ask how many friends you had, but he'll ask how many people you were a friend to. Again, good to all people. God won't ask in what neighborhood you live, but he'll ask how you treated your neighbors. Amen? Think about that for a minute. God won't ask you about the color of your skin, but he'll ask you about the content of your character. You know, right now, here recently, in this last election cycle, there's been a group of folks, and I'm not going to name the group of folks because we're all, like I said, logical people, that have tried to flush our country by being one color or another. We all came from Adam. We're all one color, and we all bleed Jesus, whether we know him or not, because he put our hearts inside of us. It's very important that we know that as well. We need to get rid of our ego. The acronym for ego stands for etching out God. Think about that. Is your ego allowing you to etch out God? Even in just the daily things that you do. Think about your ego next time you have that problem. Have you ever had an ego problem? Have you ever professed but not are stressed? You're not stressing God into your lives. Are you like a crab in a bucket? Whoever's, whoever went, uh, I'm a big saltwater fishing guy, and you put crabs in a bucket and use them for bait, do you know what happens when you try to grab one out? They grab onto something else. And then they grab one grabs onto something else. And then that one grabs onto something else. So are you like a crab letting the world just suck you back in and suck you back in? Or at least you're being willing to be thrown out as bait to catch a bigger fish? Because that's what we're called to do, to share the gospel. 
And sometimes we have to be the bait and be willing to be the bait so the gospel gets where it needs to be. Very important. So in closing, again, let's take this time to unload any baggage. Let's take this time to get off every sin, every weight that holds and bounds us and puts a division between us and God. Because, guys, I want to make sure you understand, as profoundly as I can, anything that you put between you and God is an idol, and you're breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Maybe you're in this room and you don't even know what those are, but I promise you, you've broken at least one of them. I don't care how good a life you live. And we need a Savior to save us from that. And that's why God sent Jesus to die on a cross. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, or you've just been playing church, or you just have a weight and amount of sin upon you, man, don't leave here the way you came. I've said that every night that we've been here the last three nights. I want to thank you for allowing me to come and share the gospel. It's something that I'm very passionate about, something that I love to do. But more than anything, I pray that you got it. That's the main thing. I pray that you received the word that God gave for me to give to you the last three nights. This is powerful stuff, guys. And I hope it was just as powerful for you as it is for me. But more than anything, I hope there's a change because it's not about me. It's about making much of God and none about me. And that's what we need to remember about every single person in this room. Because it's very easy to even learn about God, be a disciple of God, be in the rhythm of serving everywhere you can, and become extremely self-righteous, judgmental, argumentative, and completely the opposite of what God wants you to be. So maybe you're in this room and you've been a Christian for 30, 40 years. Maybe you've been serving and been on fire for God for 20 or 30 years of that. But if you're not doing what we've talked about the last three nights, you need to come up here and get that right. Or even where you're at, like I said. I don't expect people to come up if they don't feel comfortable to. God's right there where you're at. But the whole point of it is, is get where he is. And don't harden your heart. Open your heart to him. Julio, if you guys will come up. Corey, would you mind coming up front with me tonight? Corey and I will be up here to pray. If you need prayer, feel comfortable to come up and pray. Or again, like I said, right where you're at is totally fine. But the main point is just pray. Bow your heads. Let's take this time of not even worshiping, but just take this time because I guarantee you every single person in this room has something that they have to get rid of. So just stay in your seats. If you want to come up and pray, that's fine, but stay right where you're at and just pray and give it all to God today.